0: I'll be reading uh, 1 Corinthians 16, but we will be beginning at uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. It's on page 1062. Therefore, my dear brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Now about the collection for the saints. You should do the same as I instructed the Galatian churches. On the first day of the week, each of you is to set something aside and save in keeping with how he prospers so that no collections will need to be made when I come. When I arrive, I will send with letters those you recommend to carry your gracious gift to Jerusalem. If it is suitable for me to go as well, they can travel with me. I will come to you after I pass through Macedonia, for I will be traveling through Macedonia, and perhaps I will remain with you or even spend the winter so that you may send me on my way wherever I go. I don't want to see you now just in passing, for I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord allows, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost because a wide door for effective ministry has opened for me. Yet many oppose me. If Timothy comes, see that he has nothing to fear from you, because he is doing the Lord's work just as I am. Therefore, no one should look down on him. Send him on his way in peace so he can come to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. About our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to come to you with the brothers, but he was not at all willing to come now. However, he will come when he has an opportunity. Be alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like a man. Be strong. Your every action must be done with love. Brothers, you know the household of Stephanas. They are the first fruits of Achaia and have devoted themselves to serving the saints. I urge you also to submit to such people and to everyone who works and labors with them. I am pleased to have Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus present because these men have made up for your absence, for they have refreshed my spirit and yours, therefore recognize such people. The churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, along with the church that meets in their home. All the brothers greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. This greeting is in my own hand, Paul. If anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. Maranatha, that is, Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with all of you in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Ken, and thank you, Alice, for reading for us. Uh, It'd be great if you could leave that passage open in front of you, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Well, we've arrived. We've got to the end of 1 Corinthians. Uh, We spent the best part of six months reading through this letter together. And I wonder, as we get to the end of the book, I wonder what you make of the Corinthian Christians. I mean, if we're going to be honest, they're a pretty messed up bunch, aren't they? Uh, they're divided and in factions over which leaders they want to follow. You know, some are following the great orator Apollos, others are sticking with the the founder, the the trembling apostle Paul. It's because they've got worldly attitudes about wisdom and what's impressive they've also got worldly attitudes when it comes to sex Uh, in fact paul says that they had even worse attitudes than the world there was a man in their midst who was sleeping with his stepmother and the corinthian church were proud proud of how tolerant they were well they also were messed up when it came to worship Uh, When it came to worship, there were some who were still worshipping idols. There were others who were getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. And still, uh, when they would would come together, there were some in their midst who thought that worship was all about themselves, all about what they could get out of worship. And finally, some amongst their midst thought it didn't matter what you did with your body because they didn't believe in the resurrection. Well, the Corinthian church were a pretty messed up bunch. But it's interesting, isn't it? As we've gone through for the last six months, we haven't had to try too hard to find truths from this letter that we could apply to ourselves. Sure, we we may not have the extremes of the Corinthian church, but here at Church by the Bridge, we're not too dissimilar to these Corinthians. So as Paul lands his letter to this church, how would you expect it to finish up? Clean up your act. You guys are ridiculous. I can't believe that I planted this church and look what you've made of it. I'm embarrassed to be associated with you. It's probably the kind of thing that I might say. But it wouldn't be consistent with the gospel. The gospel that brought this people together and formed them into a community. The gospel that Paul had been reminding them again and again throughout this letter. The gospel is the final word of forgiveness. The gospel is the word of a second chance for those who are not what they should be. The gospel is the word about the crucified God. Chapter one. Paul says, "This is the gospel that I proclaim to you." Chapter five, uh, chapter fifteen, that I passed on to you that Jesus Christ died according to the scriptures. You know, in spite of everything that divided these Corinthians, all the sin that tore them apart, the gospel spoke a louder word over them. And it's said, in spite of everything that, draw, that, draw, that drags you apart, the gospel draws you together because you are forgiven. Chapter, five, chapter 6, you are washed. You are sanctified, made holy. You are justified, declared innocent in God's sight. In fact, Paul says that not only does the gospel transform your past Corinthians, the gospel gives you an entirely new future. Because if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, then just as he rose from the dead, you too will rise and live forever and ever. You are resurrected people. You have been given a second life, Corinth. So how are you going to live that second resurrected life? Paul concludes his great chapter with this rousing exhortation. Let's read it together. It's, Verse 58 of chapter 15, because of the gospel, because you've been cleansed of your past, because you've been given a new future, my dear brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So how does Paul wrap up his letter to the messed up Corinthian church? With a surprising invitation to partner with him in the gospel. To live their resurrected lives for the Lord's work. Amongst a few other sort of customary farewells and and greetings, Paul has three big ideas that he wants to communicate as he brings this letter to a close. And this is our main point this morning. God's people are to be united in gospel giving gospel partnering and gospel living. God's people are to overcome all that drags them apart by drawing together and be united in giving, partnering and gospel living. So we'll explore this chapter under those three titles and let's begin with our first point, gospel giving in verses 1 to 4. Christians are to express our unity in gospel giving. I really love the way that Paul launches into the topic of giving. He doesn't butter up his audience. He doesn't tell them, thank them for their amazing generosity in the past. He doesn't try and convince them about how far every dollar could go towards life changing uh, work. No, Paul has just reprimanded the Corinthians for their misconduct. He's challenged their worldly thinking. And then he doesn't ask them if they'd be, please, please, please give some money. What does he do? Verse one, he instructs them. He instructs them on how to use their money. As Christians, we shouldn't need to be sweet talked into giving. Paul simply reminds the Corinthians of who they are, of who you are. If you believe in Jesus, then you are living a second life. You've begun living the resurrection life. And because God gave everything for us, we can give joyfully in service to God. Because we don't belong to this world anymore, Christian brother or sister, we know that the currency of this world isn't current in our home, in our home in heaven. And so we give generously to gospel work. Because we belong to another world, as Christians, we want to invest our money where we're going to get lasting returns. And that means investing in and prioritizing our giving towards the Lord's work. We live in a world, though, don't we, where we constantly get asked for money. I don't know if you're familiar with... Hi, I'm just from the Friendly Society, we're raising money. I get so many door knockers in my area. I live in in the Inner West. And because I'm a Christian, I feel compelled to give them an audience and to listen to their cause. Uh, But I have a friend who has quite a good response. Uh, He listens graciously as people share their good cause. Uh, He thanks them for that and says, you know what, I am a Christian uh, and I really believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And I believe in life beyond this life. And so whilst there are many people on my street who might give towards your cause, there aren't many people who will give towards preparing people for life beyond death. And so I want to prioritize my giving towards Christian work. So thank you for coming to visit, and I wish you a great success down the street. That's how he sends people on their way. They turn up at his door, they get a little gospel presentation. Um, But I hope you know that, brothers and sisters, that the world around us is not going to support gospel work. It's Christians who need to support other Christians. And, uh, And we must prioritize it in our giving. Because the particular work that Paul has in mind is supporting Christians in dire need. Paul the Apostle to the Gentiles had been arranging a collection for the Gentile church from all the Gentile churches that he'd been founding uh, to support needy Christian, Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. This giving opportunity was an opportunity for the Corinthians to stop thinking about themselves, to look beyond themselves. It was an opportunity to stop thinking so much about their own church and express unity with other churches. It was also an an opportunity to express unity with needy believers they'd never even met. That's what the gospel does. At the end of verse 3, you'll notice that Paul calls their gift a gracious gift to the saints in Jerusalem. Literally, it's just the word grace. As we give to to brothers and sisters in need... It is a tangible way that we can help others experience the grace of God. This gift to the Jerusalem saints would show them God's grace. But as, uh, And as Paul goes through and speaks about giving, there are some very helpful guidelines that can give shape to how we can tangibly communicate God's grace to saints in need. Let's have a look at, at what Paul says. When was it that Paul instructed them to plan their giving? Verse 2, Paul says, On the first day of the week. That is, gracious giving will plan to give first and then live off what's left over. Rather than the alternative, which is live first and then give off what's left over. Gracious giving will plan to give. Uh, Perhaps if your income comes in weekly like it might have for the Corinthians, that would take place weekly, maybe fortnightly, maybe annually when planning a budget. What amount did he instruct the Corinthians to give? Halfway through verse 2. Each of you is to set something aside and save in keeping with how he prospers. The great thing about New Testament giving is that It's not prescribed, no amount was prescribed, unlike the Old Testament tithe. That is because for the New Testament church, some saints simply couldn't afford 10%. But for many saints, like most of us sitting here today, 10% just simply wouldn't be enough. We could afford to give so much more. And I'm really thankful for my university chaplain when I was a student at university. He pushed us, he really, really pushed us to start giving. Even though we were giving, committing regularly to giving 50 cents a week, it was nothing. But as we have grown, as our income has changed, as we've moved from Centrelink to having an income of our own, as we've grown and prospered, Our giving can increase. How are we going, church, by the bridge? Is our giving keeping up with how we are prospering? Well, what does Paul indicate is the benefit of regular giving? The end of verse 2, Paul says, So that no collections will need to be made when I come. So that Paul... The apostle, the great gospel preacher and proclaimer, doesn't have to waste his time chasing money. I hope you know that it's one of the things that keeps our pastor here, Paul, and the parish council awake at night. It stresses them out chasing after finances. They spend energy that could be spent preaching and proclaiming the gospel Worrying about finances and meeting those needs. Gracious gospel giving doesn't do that. Gracious gospel giving seeks to meet those needs so we can free up gospel workers to do gospel proclamation. Now this week I've had to confess my passiveness when it comes to giving. I often sit back knowing that at the end of the year if there's a financial deficit... I know that I'll commit to helping meet that deficit, but I never communicate that to Paul or the parish council. I just let them sweat it out for the next six months and then I'll come through in the last minute. A gracious gospel giving doesn't do that. It doesn't want to cause extra stress for those who could otherwise spend their energy on gospel preaching and teaching. Gracious gospel giving expresses unity through generous giving. Well, gospel giving is one way of expressing our partnership with other believers in the gospel. But gospel partnerships are much more than just throwing our money towards gospel work. And that's our second point this morning, gospel partnerships. Christians express our unity through gospel partnerships. There's no doubt about the Apostle Paul, is there? The man changed the world, as we know. it. He travelled around most of the known world, planting churches, and making a complete difference in the world we know today. But he didn't do it on his own, did he? He did it with unnamed believers like these Corinthian Christians. And there are going to be people amongst us like the Apostle Paul, people who the gospel just makes them tick. Uh, People like our assistant pastor Andy here. I remember being at Johnny's uh, superhero birthday party and Andy dressed inappropriately in a Captain America suit chose that as a good opportunity before cutting the cake to tell everyone about Johnny and his real superhero their real superhero, Jesus. And I thought, oh, really, Andy? Kids' birthday party? Do you have to preach the gospel about Jesus? Uh, but I was rebuked. I was challenged because the gospel makes Andy tick. And he wants to take every opportunity to share the good news, the good news about the God, the, about the God who can save us and who can save anyone, the superhero who can save And so people like Andy, people like the Apostle Paul, we want to set them up. We want to free them. We want to set them over us as our leaders. We want to send them out as evangelists. We want to send them overseas as missionaries. And these leaders and gospel workers, they'll come to us in all different shapes and sizes. Let's think about who the Corinthians had. Verse 5, they had Paul, the traveling apostle. Big in words, but small in presence, apparently, according to the Corinthians. They had Timothy, verse 10. Timothy, Paul's young, but timid and shy, and, and uh, trembling apprentice. Verse 12, they had Apollos, the impressive orator. Verse 15, they had the household of Stephanus, the first converts in the province of Achaia, of which Corinth was the capital. And what had the household of Stephanus done? They devoted themselves to serving the saints. You know, as we partner in the gospel with these gospel leaders and evangelists and missionaries, we don't get to choose who's on God's team. That's God's job. Our job is to let the gospel draw us together, to partner in gospel work with them. Which is exactly what the Apostle Paul modelled. After all the hurt that the Corinthians had caused him, how does he speak about them? How does he address these saints who had hurt him? He lets the gospel change his view of them. Verse 24, my love be with all of you in Christ Jesus. He loves them. He longs for them. Verse 7, I don't want to see you just in passing. I want to spend time with you, Corinthians. I want to minister to you and you to minister to me. And what did he ask of the Corinthians? Respect, recognition, and submission. It's most clear when Paul's speaking about the household of Stephanus. Verse 16, Paul says, I urge you to submit to such people and everyone who works and labors with them. And then verse 18 ends, you ought to recognize such people. We partner in the gospel by honoring those we set apart for the Lord's work. We let the gospel draw us together. We love and encourage them, and they strengthen and support us. Uh, Sorry, they they love and serve us, and we strengthen and support them. We let the gospel draw us together together but we also let the gospel drive us apart. The reason Paul had to send a letter and couldn't turn up in person to visit the Corinthians was verse 8. Because in Ephesus, a wide door for effective ministry had opened for him. The gospel takes priority. And so whilst the gospel makes us love being together in gospel partnership, the gospel also makes us willing to be a part. And I hope that's true for us, Church by the Bridge. I hope that we're willing to part ways, to split hive groups so that we can grow them, to move on from congregations so we can plant new congregations, to let go of our precious gospel leaders so that they might be sent somewhere else to serve God in another part of God's world on the mission field. In fact, God's mission is so much, much bigger than us here at Church by the Bridge. And so many of the Corinthian errors boiled down to the fact that they were just caught up in their own little patch. Partnering in the gospel should make us think big and make us live big. And that's what Paul did. That's why 2,000 years on, 2,000 years on, we're reading a letter he wrote to one of the many churches that he founded around the known world. Friends, if you want to give yourself to something that really, really lasts, to something that you know is absolutely never going to be in vain, then give yourselves to partnering in the Lord's work. Who knows what the future might hold for us? Who knows what churches we may plant here at Church by the Bridge? Who knows what mission fields you and I might go to? What corners of the earth we might send leaders to serve in? But the way to be ready to seize the opportunities, to seize the open doors for the gospel when they come to us is by living gospel lives. And that's our third and final point this morning. God's people are to be united in living gospel lives. Paul wraps up his letter to the Corinthians with a string of exhortations in verse 13. Exhortations which show us how God expects the gospel to be lived out in a cosmopolitan city like Corinth. A city like Sydney. Let's have a look at them. Verse 13. Be alert, says the Lord. Be alert against adopting the values and moral standards of your city. You're resurrected people, Christians. You are resurrected people. You belong to another city. So live in this city like you plan to live in your heavenly home. Be alert. Stand firm in the faith. Don't give way to compromise. Don't give in to lax moral standards. Our faith, brothers and sisters, is in the God who died to set us free from our sins. How can we continue to live in those sins and go on in them? Flee from sins. Flee from idolatry, Paul said. Flee from sexual immorality. The Corinthian... Uh, the, The letter to the Corinthians taught us that the church, that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. And so our outward lives must adorn the God who dwells within us. Act like a man. Be strong. Be courageous. The Corinthian Christians looks just like everyone else in Corinth. And that was the big problem. That was part of their problem. Are you courageous enough, Christian brother or sister, to stand out from Sydney? To live God's way in a city that denies his existence or denies his right to speak on any topic? It cost the Corinthians a great deal to follow Jesus? Are you going to be courageous, courageous like Paul, to press through open doors for gospel ministry, even though many will oppose you as they did Paul in Ephesus? Finally, your every action must be done with love. Oh, the Corinthians had all the gifts. They had it all all the gifts, all the talents, all the potential, but they lacked love. Love is the ingredient that reminds us that this resurrection life that you and I have been given, it's not about us. It's about him. It's about you. It's about one another. It's a second life that's been given to you to glorify your God and to serve his people. I don't know which of these truths, as we wrap up the letter, rings in your ears and presses on your heart. Whichever it is, Paul wraps up his letter with a stark reminder about the urgency of living gospel lives. Verse 22, let's take a look. There are really only two ways to live. If anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. Those who reject our Lord Jesus Christ, are living under God's curse. But those who do love the Lord, they long for his coming. They live gospel lives and they pray with Paul, Maranatha, which means, Lord, come. Friends, like the Corinthian Christians, we may not be what we should be, but the gospel of grace The gospel of grace has forgiven us for all that we aren't. We're forgiven of our past and we're given a whole new future. A resurrected life to be lived in devoted service of the Lord and his work. The way to live lives that we know will never be in vain. The way to be united, to overcome things that divide us, is to unite with one another in gospel giving, gospel partnering, and gospel living. And in that way, we can pray with the Apostle Paul, Maranatha, come Lord. But until he comes, we will be found ready and waiting, living to please and glorify our God, living to build up his body, living to hold out hope to a hopeless world, that there is a Saviour who loves us, who has died for us, and who can wash us clean from all our sins. Let's finish and pray to the Lord our God. Our Heavenly Father, we pray, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, Come and set everything that is wrong right. Come and take us to be home with you forever. Yet for as long as we have to wait, Lord, please help us to live resurrected lives excelling in your work. May we give ourselves to gracious gospel giving. May we give ourselves to one another in gospel partnering. And may we give ourselves to you each and every day in gospel living. For your glory and for our good we pray. Amen.